This week's podcast was recorded on Monday, March 22nd at 12 p.m., just hours before the most recent shooting in Boulder, Colorado. Our hearts go out to all those mourning in Boulder. This week, we discussed the shooting in Atlanta that resulted in eight deaths, six of which were Asian women. Their names are Soon Chung Park, Hyun Chung Grant, Soon Cha Kim, Young E Yu, Xiao Zhe Tan, Dao Yo Feng, Delena Ashley Yan Gonzalez, and Paul Andre Michaels. Again, our hearts go out to all those mourning in Boulder and in Atlanta. Welcome to Our Soul, a podcast by Kelly Fox and Terry Williams from the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. So, can we just agree that killing Asian bodies is racist? Like, yes. can, can that be? Can that be a like base entry point for the conversation of the violence that happened in Atlanta? Because I'm having a real problem with a lot of my my white fellow folk out here, right, saying things like, "Well, it's not really about race, or we it's not proven that racism played a part." There are bodies of people of color. Laying mm-hmm. in in morgues and soon to be in you know services and graves, mm-hmm. like you, I I don't I don't know how much clearer we have to be about what what qualifies as racism <laughs> in these United States, but there are folk out there who have done such mental gymnastics to avoid talking about Asian bias and racism against Asian bodies and Asian hate, the hatred Mm -hmm. of Asian people and white supremacy, that they are willing to try to make a case that the murders that happened in Atlanta were not about race. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that like... Help me with that. (laughs) I think one thing that's like a, a big part of why people are like not thinking about race in this situation is because, uh, Asian Americans have been seen as, like, the model minority, um, and that, like, label was not put on Asian Americans by Asian Americans. It's, it's again, a part of the white supremacist structure of um, this, this country that we're living in, which makes it seem like because they're the model that they're not suffer like, that they're not attacked or they're not um, oppressed by people. And so they're absolved from the race question. But that's absolutely not true. I mean, and in a situation where eight people are killed and six of them are Asian American women, I mean, like, how can it get any clearer than that? Um, Especially looking at, um, I know that there was targeting around going to Asian owned and operated um, massage parlors and going to each place to like decide I don't know it's just it's so very clear that this is a race problem and to think of it as anything else is just bizarre you know that that whole framework that I have to intend to be racist to do a racist thing Mm -hmm. 
is is total white people BS. Like we created that as white people to get out of owning the fact that racist people don't call themselves racists, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to intend to do a racist thing to do a racist thing. Like it is racist if it has if it has a racially disparate impact. That is racism. Mm-hmm. Racism is not about how you feel, right? Mm-hmm. White, white folk get all up in our feelings about this crap. And it's like, it's not about how you feel about anybody. I hear people say all the time, I don't have a racist bone in my body. Honey, it's not about the bones in your body. <laughs> it's about what the bones in your body are doing to other people out here. And that is racism. Like, yeah. you have systems that have kept you in positions of authority and power, have kept you in positions of dominance, and have kept other people in positions of where they lack the choices over their own body, they lack their own agency and bodily autonomy to be able to use their bodies in ways that they deem holy or good or righteous in in your framework. Like, yeah. just like this system is killing, you know, Asian women in Atlanta last week, this system's been killing uh, Asian bodies for decades, right? So long. It's literally in our history to to have this. Uh, sorry. Um, I like. I'm just. It just makes me so angry, especially thinking about intent over impact. And like, intent doesn't mean anything when it harms people. You know, um, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if I, you know, by. Well, in this situation, it doesn't matter if he um, was specifically blatantly racist against Asian people. It doesn't matter. The The impact was that he murdered a right. group of mostly Asian women. Um, and that and instilled in fear and instilled fear mm-hmm. across Asian communities you know the the nation uh, the nation broad you know mm-hmm. like this man is a white supremacist and a terrorist you know yes. we we love to use the word terrorist to label everybody who's you know dark skinned who's black and brown folk like we that that label has been so used by the military industrial complex as a process of propaganda but we don't want to apply it when the definition we've been handed now all of a sudden applies to white people because mm-hmm. white people aren't supposed to be terrorists mm-hmm. white people are troubled or what what did the what did the um, the sheriff's deputy say he had a bad oh he day. had a bad day he had a bad <sighs> sometimes uh when i have a bad day i make a spa appointment because that makes me feel better Never in my life, Kelly Fox, never in my life have I thought, I have a bad day. I think I will go murder six people. Yeah. Murder eight people. Murder. Like, what? Mm -mm. And, like, while we, you know, condemn this, I I do shy away from using uh, terrorist language. And I have heard this specifically from... um, uh, people who are Muslim um, and are brown-skinned um, who have gotten that label thrown on them. Uh, the Like, while I see this as an act of domestic terrorism, the, the labeling it in that way, um, in, it emboldens the government to be more, uh, to surveil more. 
to, totally. to uh, extend totally. their powers to continue to oppress people who are not really actually doing anything wrong. Like, uh, <coughs> there is, <laughs> while I do not understand why this man t took these actions, um, there are other people who don't take these actions, um, and they don't deserve to be, like, surveilled heavily just because they're... I don't know. Totally. Um, but anyway, that I just wanted to make that point about that. But and I and I think though. Well, and let's let uh, I I'm, I want to go a little deeper on that though because I think I think the mm -hmm. terrorism framework, right? We've we've got mm -hmm. to be really clear and interrogate that terrorism framework because what is the assumption when we call somebody a terrorist after after nine eleven, right? When nine eleven happened. Terrorism became like the center of our conversation as a nation about how do we stop it, right? And the conclusion was with the Patriot Act and a lot of other, you know, stuff that came through the government mm -hmm. that terrorism would be stopped if we just gave the government enough power to spy on everybody and look into everybody's lives and surveil people more. And the assumption was we will be safer if... We know what everybody's up to. Where has that gotten us in 20 years? Because right now, like, 9-11 is going to hit its 20th anniversary here in a few months. And in 20 years and more surveillance and even more invasive government oversight of our daily lives, the only thing that it's gotten us is more grief for black and brown people and more white terrorists who go completely... See, I, I did it again. More white supremacists... Right, mm -hmm. who go completely unchecked and get to do what they do. Because this young man, I guarantee, was on nobody's watch list because, well, color of his skin, his background, right? Going to his going to his good, uh, you know, Protestant church every single Sunday. Like he wasn't on anybody's list because those aren't the kind of people that we think we should be afraid of. Because terrorism is about telling us who to fear, not fundamentally who makes us unsafe. So, and then if we look at, like, recent acts of, uh, you know, violence, especially mass violence that have happened, you know, in my lifetime, uh, the, the names that come up are often these young white men. Um, and often I feel like it comes from having some type of, like, restriction or um, not being able to fully express their emotions and, like, that coming out in violence. And the solution to solving that problem is not more surveillance. The solution for solving that problem is a cultural shift. And being able to talk about, like, for one, being able to call out racism when it happens. The fact that uh, these news networks are not even uh, committing to a, saying that it is racism um, is a big thing and shows you how not far, how, how little we have moved forward. <laughs> Um, well, and, and it shows you how powerful the the white fragility of this nation is in terms of its economic and systemic control over media truly. and and the way that people analyze things. Because fragile white folks do not want to hear that this is our problem. You know, this this is this is our this is our young white man. Mm -hmm. This is our white supremacist who was raised not only with white supremacy as a backdrop, but also with this toxic Christian purity culture. Oh, yeah. This BS of 
in order for you to stay pure, you have to eliminate people who make you have these thoughts as if as if these people in in massage parlors were responsible for what your brain is doing as if they could make you have this emotion instead of owning the fact that when i experienced this i react in this way Mm -hmm. he turned it into when i have these feelings i have to eliminate what causes those externally like that is fundamentally disordered that it and it's and it's at the root of christian purity theology and this this evangelical fundamentalism that drives the idea that all men are expected to misbehave and all women have to somehow control themselves to not cause misbehavior out of men that binary system uh, there's just so much wrong with it yeah, so and I think I think that the the church honestly needs to take responsibility. Like the the this ideology that like you get rid of your temptations, you know. And I I remember hearing that growing up in the church, like hearing. Well, it's more that I have to get rid of the temptations in myself as a femme. But uh, this idea of you have to get rid yourself of temptations can easily move into this this. Um, this uh, area of violence uh, that this murderer went into. And I think that the church needs to, you know, take responsibility and accountability for the fact that the messaging that they have moved forward, this messaging of eliminating your temptations and uh, uh, not actually talking about sex, but making it taboo and all of these limitations, especially that we put on men. I, I, like my big passion and it's been my passion for a really long time um is around this idea that men are not allowed to have feelings and because they're not allowed to have feelings they express those feelings through violence because that's the only like american way for men to express their feelings and i think a lot of that is based in like this church purity culture this idea that you eliminate your temptations um you pray about it and then it's gone (laughs) and you don't have to do anything else. And uh, this idea that sex is a taboo that you can't even talk about. If if this guy, because the, the one thing that they're talking about all over the media is about his sex addi- addiction, which really isn't a thing. There's hypersexuality, there's um, impulse control issues, like things like that, but not, like sex addiction is not really what people think it is. But, uh, if he really did have a problem with sex, imagine a world where he is able to talk, especially in a community that claims to uplift people and uh, help people get through life. Imagine he, him being able to talk to that community about his issues with sexuality and being able to express that in a way that allows him to move forward and be a better person instead Absolutely. of murdering eight people. <laughs> Well, and and I just have to say right now, I do I do believe uh, in sex addiction because I think that people in uh, now you're yeah, don't don't judge me yet you know um, people who are in some of these fundamentalist evangelical contexts are addicted to sex. They're just addicted to really bad sex that they don't want to talk about, right? <laughs> Like, there are a lot of folk who are addicted to sex that's so bad, they don't, that not only do they not talk about it, they don't want to talk about it. I have to tell you right now, 
as a key essential, like fundamental part of my religion is that if something feels that good, it must have come from God. Mm-hmm. Right? Like sex is a beautiful gift. Human sexuality is a beautiful gift from the divine. Mm-hmm. Because if you have not felt and experienced and glimpsed a new vision of who God is in the middle of a sexual experience in your life, (laughs) you need to be searching some stuff out because I'm telling you, it's out there, Mm -hmm. right? It's like the X-Files. The truth is out there, honey. Mm -hmm. Like you, you can find this. There are people, however, that are addicted to the idea that sex should not be pleasurable, that sex should only be about procreation, that sex should be highly regulated, that sex should be primarily regulated through shame and guilt And I just don't buy that BS. And I feel like we as a nation need to stop buying that BS because our sex negativity and our violence in terms of sexual repression is literally killing people, right? It is expressing itself in ways that say this, this young man did not fit the mold of what his... Christian church said should be mm-hmm. the way that young men are, you know, and, and let's be real clear here. Like this, this young man was not just a member of church. He was a, a leader in his church. Mm-hmm. He had gone through a conversion experience about two and a half years ago. Right. Yep. Like had that like moment of everything's fixed. Jesus came in and did everything for me. Hallelujah. It's all better. Right. Mm-hmm. When the reality is it was not. And it was performative in that moment yep. for his community to accept him because his community communicated somewhere along the way, you are not acceptable unless you perform in this way. And the community kept communicating that, that you are not acceptable unless you perform in this way. And the only way this man saw to perform in this way and to continue performing in this way was to eliminate his temptation by violently ending the lives of people who were not responsible for his feelings. Exactly. And and this is... um... And I feel like every time I'm on here, I'm plugging my my book club. But like, it's all I think about is restorative justice. And um, this is this like the the reason that I long for a future where restorative justice is the practice that we use to like solve our problems is that like I see this as a problem that easily could have been avoided. Like if yes. if we, especially with the book that um, we're reading for this month's book club, which is called Beyond Survival. It is um, a book, uh, an anthology of stories and strategies from the transformative justice movement. And um, it talks about some heavy stuff and how you actually deal with practical situations of like sexual violence or um, abuse and things like that. And if we adapted a practice of like being able to talk through situations where our values are not aligned, but we want to be in community with each other. How can we do that that doesn't result in violence? Or, like, just having access to therapy. <laughs> just there, there are so many ways that this could easily be avoided. And I think that the, you know, if we want a future where uh, people who are just doing their jobs are not murdered for being a possible temptation to a... a a white man um then it needs to start with the church actually digging into the harm that has been caused by the ideology that they spread to other people 
because we're doing it to ourselves yes right you know you know that meme of the kid who's riding along on the bike and you know the first frame he's riding along and he's holding a stick the second frame he sticks the stick in in the the spokes of the bike and then he falls off the bike and he looks around and he blames something completely external right that is what we are doing right now we Mm. are tripping ourselves up in a horrible way in a we are crashing again and again and again because our society has structured this system to get the results it's getting society is not broken it's perfectly aligned to get the results it's getting exactly and some people like the results that we're getting some people like uh you know this ridiculous imbalance this racial imbalance in incarceration rates some people like this ridiculous imbalance in social wealth some people like this ridiculous imbalance in health outcomes and we have got to stop liking that and stop enjoying that and stop letting that pass as well it's good enough and we're just going to have to let it be because it's literally killing us mm-hmm. and you're you're absolutely right i i <laughs> the only reason that you're able to plug your uh you know uh your book club so often is because it's so daggone relevant yeah. right <laughs> transformative Transformative processes and restorative justice are essential to the condition that our nation and our culture is in right now. And I don't see that changing anytime real soon because we got a lot of work to do, right? So, like, it's relevant. That's that's why we're here doing this work, right? Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, and I just, like, and I, I just hate for this, too. And I, I don't like using the word hate, but I really hate the fact that this is not being talked about as a race issue um as a like an issue that needs to be resolved within churches um and it's just it's just crazy to me and of course we also need to to talk about the fact that um he specifically sought out these asian uh, massage parlors and how that uh, shows that he and society writ large, like, also um, fetishizes uh, people, women of color, specifically Asian women. I, like, I don't think it's talked about enough the way that, like, even though Asians are seen as this model minority, they're not, like, there's no privilege to that. Like, they are still fetishized, they're still exploited, um, and... And then they're murdered for for just being. <laughs> and and all of that is part of the same system because once you start with objectifying a person for their sexual, well, for their sexual transaction, mm-hmm. for what they can give you, mm-hmm. for what they can do for you, and I don't mean I don't mean just sex work. I mean in terms of you know I have a fetish for this particular person. Mm-hmm. And they become not a person. They become not a human. They become an object. Mm-hmm. Once that that objectification occurs, it's a natural progression to abuse, use, and reuse. Because we're in a culture of the styrofoam cup theology, right? Like, I'm going to use the styrofoam cup until it doesn't work for me anymore, and then I'm going to throw it away, Right? Which is what this man wanted to do with this woman. I'm going to use this woman until this woman and and the idea of, you know, this this type of woman 
no longer works for me and then I'm going to throw it away. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to clean that out of my house because I am not that cup and that cup that is broken is not me. Mm-hmm. And getting that cup out of my house is, you know, how how I fix that. Except, like, we are the cup and the fluid and everything. Like, we, we are innately linked, mm-hmm. right? We We are... We are essential in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where where do we go from here? I mean, like I said, I mean, I feel like it's the job of the church to to call out these this the 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 wrong the harm that has been caused by the um, the teachings that they're giving to people. But like, I guess for us, for people who may be listening and um, people who may not be a part of those churches who are um explicitly like limiting um sexuality and like what what people can can think or express um i'm i mean i just feel like it's important that we speak the truth when we see it you know when we when we see racism we call it racism and we work to try to uh limit the power of racism um and i think that it's really important now um more than ever to to be to know that like the the struggle for uh racial equality is not just for black people and it's not just for brown people it's also for asian people (laughs) like the like it's not just people from mexico and black people (laughs) it's it's all of us and we're all in it together and we cannot be separating ourselves uh and trying to claim like this model minority status like we there is no benefit in that and we like cannot be thinking in that way um we have to all be supporting each other and on top of that um regardless of uh uh you know what you were talking about with people who do sex work um Mm -hmm. regardless of what the intent like whether they're doing it out of their own agency or out of um a need those people need to be protected (laughs) uh there needs to be some amount of protection and uh, i mean i've been thinking this forever and learning about it in classes but like people who do sex work need to have some level of protection um because they are so they are facing danger in their work and that just like should not be a thing Um, and the beginning of that that protection for those folk and really for for people in every part of this situation atlanta starts with destigmatizing human sexuality and stopping the harm that comes when religious organizations teach that sex is only for procreation and that reproductivity is somehow an obligation of individuals in a certain way, as opposed to a freedom and a right and a choice that people get to make. That's why we are here, right? Like reproductive freedom is our work because it is essential to living as free people and not having this kind of violence permeate our society. Whether you are a a sex worker who is trying to organize and be safe in the work that you do, or whether you are a young white male who is sexually repressed in his experience as a young white male in this society, 
you both, you all, all of us need to stop the stigma around human sexuality because human sexuality is not something to be ashamed of. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. And as as long as the church continues to repress it, they have no right to be surprised when things like this happen. Amen. Um, Amen. And they have no, no claim right. to innocence in yeah. that moment either. No claim to innocence. Yeah. Mm, mm, so to be ab- abundantly clear, uh, this act was an act of racism. It, I don't care if that was in his intent or not. This was an act of racism. And, yes. Um, our our steps forward have to be supporting each other and uh, supporting all of us who are fighting against white supremacy and um, supporting or destigmatizing sex as as something that has to be only limited to reproductive health. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for talking to me about that. And um, I guess uh, see you in a couple weeks. <laughs>